Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We'll be covering the parable of the sowers, the parable of the sower this afternoon, which is verses 1 through 20. Verses 1 through 20, Mark chapter 4. The title of our sermon is Four Types of Hearers. Four Types of Hearers. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God, we once again approach Thee, our Father, as brothers and sisters united in Christ, we come to hear thy word preached, to preach thy word, to receive thy word, to believe upon thy word, to trust in thy word, and to live for thy son Jesus Christ, to die for him faithfully. Lord, please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, guide the word preached Steer it into our hearts, O Lord. May the seed fall upon us and grow, be received, be fruitful and multiply unto holiness, faithfulness, love, peace, and joy, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Please help me, O Lord, this unprofitable servant, to preach thy word, to interpret thy word, to apply thy word. We look to thee and trust in thee for its true application to the heart, to our heart. Keep us from the evil one, O Lord, that the seed be not plucked before it taketh root in our hearts. Lord, thou art our hope, our joy, our salvation, in whom we trust and find all that we need for this life as Christians, as thy children. Lord, that we would see even somewhat more clearly who thou art and what thou hast done for us. How could we not give thee our all? We thank thee, O Lord, for this opportunity. Pray thou it's blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We will read them together. Hear the word of the Lord, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And he, being Jesus, began to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, 
Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some, seed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. May God bless the reading of his word. Dear congregation, what is the scope? What is the aim of this parable? The parable of the sower. The scope of this parable is to show that not all hearers of the word profit thereby. Not everyone who hears the word profits by it, but only some, but some only, and even they in different degrees. Even those who profit thereby do not all profit in the same way. The sower is Christ. He is the one who sows the word. He is the word of God. He is the substance, the message. The proclamation is him. He is the word of God. He is the gospel. And he is also the one who sows it. The seed is the word, the gospel. Or as Matthew has it, the word of the kingdom. Christ is the sower. He sows his word, his message, of which he is the substance and essence. Well, where and how does Jesus do this now? In the preaching, in the reading, in the expounding of his word, whether it be in private conversation, whether it be in fellowship, a Bible study, conference, evangelism, and most commonly on the Lord's Day as the word is preached and expounded. We have before us here 
a rare case in which Jesus not only is the proclaimer of the message, but also its interpreter. That's why we took all 20 verses. He gave the parable, and then he was the one that interpreted it. We must only apply it. He's already done the hard work of interpreting it for us. In our text, we find four kinds of hearers typified by four kinds of seed. The first hearer is the seed by the wayside. Number one, the seed by the wayside. Number two, the seed upon stony ground. Seed by the wayside, seed upon stony ground. Number three, the seed among the thorns. The seed among the thorns. And lastly, number four, the seed upon good ground. The seed upon good ground. So four kinds of hearers typified by four kinds of seed. First, the seed by the wayside. We see this here in verse 4. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was a wayside. There were pathways through their wheat fields, their cornfields in those days. And it is to this, this kind of pathway through their fields, that Christ in this parable is referring to. As the sower, as the farmer would go forth to sow his seed, either by hand or by an ox that was pulling, some of the seed would fall on this trodden path that went through these fields. As he walked, it would fall upon the path sometimes. It was ground that was only ever intended to be a path, a path that was much traveled, but never cultivated for farming. The rest of the soil was cultivated for farming. These pathways, these waysides, where the farmer would walk upon to sow his seed, was not intended for cultivation. This is the hardened paths, that hardened soil beaten down by much traffic. The seed simply falls upon it and lies there, uncovered, unaccepted. It's not a good place for good seed. The seeds lay there, exposed and barren, accomplishing nothing. The highway, these sideways, these byways, these waysides were never intended to be sown or cultivated. Now, such are many hearers in our own day even. And in fact, so are all who hear the gospel, lest God open their hearts. We all were but waysides. Our hearts were calloused and hardened. If God does not open the heart, that is, if he doesn't make the soil of the hearts good, that we might receive the seed of the gospel which is sown, then we shall never be anything but hardened wayside soil. The natural heart lays hardened, as we talked about last week. The natural heart of man, his natural state, is hardened in his own ways, trodden down by the constant traffic of sin's ways and motives. Such hearers as these that are by the wayside are dead in trespasses and sins, as we read in Ephesians 2. Dead in trespasses and sins, their own trespasses and sins, in which they daily move and have their being. Their spiritual and their intellectual faculties are deadened by sin. 
professing themselves to be wise, they actually become fools, as Romans 1, tells us. Perversity in their sinning, continuance in their sinning, has made them spiritually heartless, deaf, and blind. Being even past feeling, as the Apostle styles it in Ephesians 4.19, they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness even. They are hardened in their sin, beaten down as the path. Nothing shall move them from it but the supernatural working of God Almighty upon them. Even in Gilbert here, we have yet to see an honest farmer planting corn upon the asphalt. Even in Gilbert. It is as impossible to yield a crop from the 202 as it is for the gospel seed to take root in a hard heart. The hearer who is likened unto this wayside soil, this hardened path, is the one who takes no heed to what he hears preached in the gospel. He lays no hold upon it. He does not take it as his own. He does not receive it. It lays upon the hardened surface. They hear sermons, possibly, They hear the gospel explained to them by their co-workers and families, but they don't hear words or meanings. They hear noise. Now, such a practice is less common in our day, still exists, but for centuries, many, many multitudes went to places of worship for socially aesthetic reasons, meaning they went for image, for popularity, for fashion, or to seem respectable or moral before others. Their bodies were in attendance, but their mind and hearts were elsewhere. They took no real interest in the preaching, in the reading of the word, in the prayers, in the songs, or in the creeds. To them, it's all a smattering of words, a smattering of names and dates and sounds, the mere unintelligible and irrelevant tinkling of a bell. There are still myriads of professing Christians in such a state of soul, as we know. To them, the service on the Lord's Day, the public gathering, has nothing to do with business. It has nothing to do with company, family, money, food, hobby, drink, fashion, politics, or clothes. It has nothing to do with any of these things. So though they may sit under its noise, sit under the sound of the preaching, yet they take their time up in thinking about other things. Matthew Henry said, they are thinking of something else when they should be thinking of their peace. So what happens to this seed that's cast upon the wayside? It's hard, it just sits on top. What comes of it? What comes of the word preached to such hearers? Well, Christ tells us that the fowls of the air, the birds of the air, devoured it. The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. He gives the interpretation there. Luke adds that Satan takes the word away lest they should believe and be saved. Luke 8.12 The word preached, or the seed of the gospel, landing upon the barren and trodden land of the hard and unregenerate heart, lies unaccepted, unreceived, and open to utter loss. Satan snatches the word away. He comes and he taketh it away, it says. Catcheth it away. 
The, de- the devil desires to sift Christians as wheat, right? He also desires to sift all hearers of the gospel as wheat, to destroy them utterly. He walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8. None suit for Satan's prey so well as this kind of hearer. Why? Because they actually willingly offer up the seed which he has come to steal. It lays unaccepted. They didn't even take an opportunity to grab it for their own. It simply lays upon their hard heart. Just as Satan is the great murderer of souls, as Jesus says, so he is also the great thief of many sermons. The Puritans would often talk about this. Those who take no care to keep the word sown will be sure to have it robbed from them by Satan, as one commentator said. Heedless hearers, those who give no heed to what they hear, are actually the friends of Satan, another said. They freely give him what he he comes to steal. The birds of the air, as the parable puts forth, take up the seed that falls upon the unplowed, the unfurrowed ground. We see this all the time, especially out in Gilbert, where there's lots of farms. Used to be like that in Chandler as well. You'd see the huge flocks. The sky would almost become black with birds coming down to eat the seed that didn't take root in the ground. And in the same manner, Satan plucks away the gospel seed from the unmoved and the uncaring heart. Many hearers in our day, and always has been this way, allow the devil to catch away the good seed that is sown. Just allow him to take it. Week after week they live on. Without faith, without fear, without knowledge or grace. And as J.C. Ryle said, feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest in religion, listen, than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. It's true. We all know people like that. Here's something to notice as well here. Satan doesn't even leave the seed here. This is the hardest soil that is talked about. There's no way it's going to take any root, yet Satan doesn't leave it there. He doesn't even leave it here. He takes it. He catcheth it away. He is always on the watch on how he might hinder the word preached to sinners. He's always afraid to leave the truth of the gospel even upon the hardest of hearts. The hardest of hearts. He thus catcheth it away at once so that it is forgotten or even disbelieved. We've seen many people in our own lives that we've labored with, poured out our hearts to, articulate the gospel clearly and faithfully, and we've seen unmoved. The hard heart remains. Now, it apply to us, though we be Christian, if we do not labor to cultivate our hearts, our own hearts, we shall profit little more from the word than even these do. We must plow the heart. We must plow our heart, break up the hardened earth, humble ourselves before God before we come to hear the word preached or read it in our daily devotions or talk about it amongst family and church members. Humbling, humble ourselves before God, asking that he might give us the understanding of the word. He might apply it to our heart, that he might inflame our hearts with love for him and make our hands active for his kingdom. Before we come to hear We must first be heard of God. Before we come to here, we must first be heard of God. We must break up the trodden earth of our hearts through prayer, 
for ourselves and for one another. It's a good practice to get into. We must ask for the strength, the ability, the faith to intelligently and actively give attention to the word preached. That God might apply it to us directly and personally. But our labor doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We must be sure that after the ground is cultivated, after the seed is sown, God makes it fruitful and covers it up, that we then water it with meditation and prayer. Remember the Apostle Paul tells us, Hebrews 2.1, to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest they slip away into our mind's oblivion. Let not preaching, hear this, let not preaching be something you heard on a Sunday, but the word of God you received and delighted in on the Lord's day. To do the former is to be a mere highway hearer, a wayside hearer, letting the seed land on hardened soil that is unprepared. Satan is looking to snatch the word away from us. Charles Spurgeon said, If truth does not enter into the heart, evil influences soon take it away. Very true. Second kind of hearer, the seed upon the stony ground. The seed upon the stony ground. The next soil or hearer, which Jesus refers to, is this stony ground. He says, And some seed fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. Not much earth. This kind of hearer is typified by soil that has not much earth, meaning they're surface-level hearers. Surface-level hearers. Having only temporary, momentary impressions made upon them by the word. No deep, no lasting, no living and abiding effects of the word upon their heart and their life. This is but some loose soil sitting upon a bed of hard, stony clay. Very similar to the kind of earth that we have here in Arizona. Loose dirt that's just sitting upon clay. I don't know if you've ever dug into the earth here in Arizona, but it's loose dirt and then hard clay. Sometimes you even need a jackhammer to loosen it. In this soil, the seed quickly sprang up because of the hard foundation upon which it sat. It gave it much heat, and thus it germinated extremely quickly. There was soil enough to cover the seed, so it landed and was covered, but not enough soil for it to take root. When it tried to take root, it just hit clay, hit that stony layer. Quick up and quick down. The seed was placed in the dirt, but the clay was not softened or replaced for it to be rooted in. The seed quickly germinated in the heat. But soon, the heat from the sun was too much, and it actually scorched the seed, and it withered away. So too are the hearers that we are referring to, that Jesus applies this to. They received the word preached. They actually received it. But only surface level, and only temporarily. Jesus says, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. 
and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. These hearers appear to make some real, take some real pleasure in hearing sermons. They seem to take some pleasure in hearing the truth faithfully proclaimed and set forth. They can speak with apparent joy and enthusiasm about the truths of the gospel, the sweetness of the gospel. They seem to have some happiness that they've experienced in listening to the gospel preached. Maybe they've even been moved to tears by the pleas of the preacher. And maybe they've even been seemingly enlivened to great acts of repentance in their life. But sadly, there's no stability. There's no reality to their religion. No lasting influence. No true working of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. It just appears that way. Like Jonah's gourd, they're up in a night and they perish in a night. Like the rich young ruler who at first called Jesus master, they then very soon go away from him sad. The hearer appears at first very promising. They seem like true converts. They seem truly Christian, even. I've known many. I'm sure we all have. They were your brother. They were your sister in the faith. Went to church together. You did many mighty works in Christ's name together. Yet, they never knew him, nor he them. They appear very promising. But at the end of the day, the soil was still bad. Their hearts remained essentially evil, hard, barren, and superficial. This hearer has no living entrance into the gospel mystery. They haven't actually entered into embracing the gospel and its mysteries. They have no root in themselves, no abiding principle, no hold of the truth that comes from a renewed heart, a regenerate heart. And so for a season, and only for a season, they outwardly flourish, it appears, in the gospel. But the sun soon ariseth, scorches their faith, and their faith withers. When the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 6. Because these hearers have no root in themselves, therefore when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they're offended, Jesus says in verse 17. So these hearers, some of them, expected a good return from the investment of their frenetic and hurried faith. They thought godliness would lead to gain. Not realizing that it's only godliness that is connected with contentment, which is an assured resting in the gospel that is gainful, as Paul says in 1 Timothy. They falsely assumed that because of their faith, they would receive worldly ease rather than persecution. That no affliction would befall them because they came to Jesus. What's my return on my investment? It's not panning out. Therefore, when providential affliction or persecution from the world and from Satan arises because of the gospel and their faith, they're scandalized. They're offended. When the offense of the cross comes, which we read about in Galatians 5.11, 
that is persecution for the word of God, they, as Matthew Henry says, first quarrel with their profession, and then they quit it, I mean, they leave it off. They first find fault with it, and then they throw it off. There's many people who have been led astray by these false gospels of prosperity. Health, wealth, riches, prosperity. You come to Jesus, he'll give you all these things. Nothing bad will happen to you. You'll have everything you ever wanted. All the earthly, wicked desires you've ever wanted, he'll give them to you. You won't have any hardship. And so, when these things come, they're scandalized. They're offended. This isn't what I was promised. I was promised life everlasting beginning now. That I'd have more than I could ever want. That I would come to him and he would give me all the things my heart desires. These are temporary believers. The temporary believer is so sapless, so rootless, so deficient in the moisture of grace that he dries up and his profession withers at affliction or persecution for the word's sake. Unlike their neighbors by the wayside that we just looked at, those hearers, they hear the word. And then they appear to receive it. It says they receive it. But it's only a show. It's only a show. They are not careless and inattentive hearers like the former. They appear to profit from it for a time. But just as a flower in a vase is immediately beautiful, and it fills the whole house with its fragrance and with its vivid colors, it soon browns and turns sour because it has no root, has no life within it. Such hearers were never Christian at all. First John, the Apostle John says this in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. Dear congregation, in applying this to ourselves, and seeing what we take from this, we may go farther in religion than our neighbor. It's true. We may go farther. But let's not rest in that. Let's not rest that we are more devout, more serious about our faith than someone else that is a Christian. Because why? Well, because hypocrites, too, often get a great head start. It appears that they are truly Christian, but they swallow without even chewing. They gulp down. They never have a good digestion of the word, as Thomas Watson said when talking about meditating on the word. They set their hand to the plow, but immediately they look back. They taste the good word of God, Hebrews 6.5, but they never swallow it down and live thereby. They have speedy birth, and they also have a speedy death. Let us go farther. Let us go farther. Intending to profit from the word, not just hear it and receive it for a time. Not only the taking of notes during the sermon, but the reviewing of them and prayer and meditation later. To draw the sap of living faith, we must put our roots down deep into our hearts. The roots of Christianity, of true doctrine, down deep into our hearts and to the very essence of our being. Doctrine is life. Doctrine is practice, if you truly understand it. When you hear the word preached, dear Christian, say to yourself, this word is mine. This word is mine 
mine, mine. It is my inheritance. It is given to me. It is my property, my joy, my life, my power. I shall not let Satan snatch it, nor superficiality wither it. I must and I shall profit hereby. That should be our prayer. Third type of hearer, typified by the seed among the thorns. The seed among the thorns. The thorny soil, the thorny earth. This seed is choked by this kind of soil. Jesus says in verse 7, And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. So the ground that he's speaking of was originally a patch of weedy nettles or brambles, some kind of thorn bush. It was the home, the dwelling place, the soil of thorn bushes. The ground was tilled. The bushes were taken out, removed. But their roots remained. Thus, when the good seed was sown upon this soil, it appears to be great soil. It went in, it took root, but soon again the weeds grew up with it. And eventually the seed, the wheat, the corn was choked out by the thorny weeds growing with it. They strangled the feeble upshootings of the wheat. The native plants choked out this foreigner, this stranger. They would not allow the foreign seed to dwell or share the field with them. Why? Think about this. Evil, an unnatural man, an unregenerate man, evil claims a monopoly on human nature. It must be rooted out. These hearers hear the word, as Jesus says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Verses 18 and 19. We know many in this class of hearers as well. They hear the word. They're even affected by the gospel, it appears. They take it as seed into their minds. And it grows well for a season. But the heart cannot belong to two masters, can it? Mm-hmm. Two absorbing objects cannot exist at once in the heart. And therefore, these hearers cannot maintain this yielding themselves to both this present world and to Christ for long. They must choose one or the other. We watch this take place with people, don't we? Because the original roots of sin remain untouched and unmortified by the power of the Holy Spirit in their bosom, it it now remains the most powerful influence upon them, and so they choose the world rather than Christ. Now, they went further than all the other hearers thus far. Why? They had root. They had root. They were rooted in the soil. They do not completely cast off their profession of faith most times. Yet, they come short of any saving benefit from it. Any good which they gain from the word is overcome by love for the things of the world. The thorns which remain in them choke out any desire for Christ. The weed is simply cut off. Cut off at the stem 
rather than plucked up by the root and cast into the fire. Anyone who's ever worked with weeds in Arizona as well knows this. That you'll be pulling and pulling at the base and it rips off, weed's gone. But if you don't see a clump of roots, that weed is coming back. Mm-hmm. Same in our hearts. That conversion that must be rooted out and mortified or else it will choke out any love for Christ, any apparent love for Christ. Earthly prosperity, rather, the love of earthly prosperity, can destroy faith just as well as persecution can. And actually, more dangerously, because more silently. More dangerously, because more silently. The stone spoiled the root, and the thorns spoiled the fruit. They retain their appearance of Christianity. They retain their appearance as Christians all the while. They'll live and die in church. But their care, their desire is to get money, to fulfill their covetousness, to satisfy their sins, to have the world and to lose their soul, to pass away with the present evil age. If this present evil age must die, they shall die with it. For these kinds of hearers, it's better to be without their eternal soul than without their temporal goods. Thus, they become unfruitful. This hearer, this kind of hearer, may keep his profession of faith, and often does. In the visible church, he may occupy his place in the pew. His name will remain on the membership rolls, but his religion does not grow. The leaf of outward religion is present, but the sap is missing from it. The weeds have outgrown the wheat and smothered it within his heart. No one, no one can grow thorn and corn at the same time, can they? It is fatal to the harvest of Jesus Christ. Christ and mammon as he says, cannot be served at the same time. Love for one another shall, love for one shall smother the love for the other. One of my favorite quotes I've ever read, one of the reasons I actually wanted to start learning Latin, is unus amor extinguit alium, quoted by William Gurnall in The Christian Complete Armor. He's quoting Austin, the theologian Austin. That means one love extinguishes another. One love extinguishes another. Either that love is for the world, for the present evil age, our lusts, our earthly desires, and thus whatever love seems to be happening for Christ is extinguished by our love for this present evil age, or the love for sin, the love for gratification of self in this present evil age is extinguished by the far superior love for Christ. So let us remember, even as Christians, that love for another world, our heavenly home, shall quicken the fruitfulness of the gospel's good seed. But undue care, I want to be careful here, undue care for this world shall choke it out. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's interesting here is that one of the most comforting texts in the Sermon on the Mount, and indeed the whole Bible, comes right in this context. You can't serve two masters. Because what does he say right after that? Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall yet put on. Is not the life more than meat or food, and the body more than raiment? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore, for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So the context of him saying you can't serve two masters is being concerned, overly concerned, and undue care for the things of this world, not trusting in faith that God will provide. Remember that it is not so much riches, but rather the deceitfulness of riches, as Jesus says here, that is a snare that chokes out the good word, a care, undue care for worldly things. James says in James 4.4, 4, Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Undo love for, care of, and delight in the things of the world. Doesn't mean you become a monk and leave and don't care if you either die or provide for your family. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying when you focus on that, that's where your hope is. They're only deceitful to us if we put our confidence in them and set our hope upon them. Then the good seed is choked out. We must therefore, as good husbandmen, dear congregation, good farmers, root out the thorns, root out the brambles as much as possible. How? By the mortifying power of the Holy Spirit. By extinguishing one love with another. We should as much as possible labor to keep the field of our hearts free from the care to get, to preserve, to increase, or to hoard worldly things, worldly riches and delights. Our Heavenly Father, as we just read, sees what we need and will provide for us those things that we have need of. Why then should we fret about earthly things? We cannot give our mind and our hearts to these things and to the kingdom of God also. This is why the rich young ruler went away sad. The deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things choked out the good seed. Remember Paul said that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that he lived by faith of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. That's why he could then say, what Soever state I am in, I have learned to be content 
I know how to be abased and how to abound. Why? Because his hope was in Christ, not the things of this world. Therefore, that's how he could say, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then here's the famous verse that's always pulled out of context. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4, 9 through 13. Let us imitate Paul. We set our hope on Christ. We can endure. We set our hope on worldly cares. They will choke out the seed within us. Remember the hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Fourth kind of hearer, the seed upon the good ground. The good ground. Our last and most excellent class of hearer is typified by Jesus in this good ground. Some of the seed which was sown, he says in verse 8, fell upon good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some an hundred. To the bird, to the weather, and the weeds, three other sets of seeds have gone. Gone. But bless God, one set yet remains. And it is going to increase and fill the barn with a goodly heritage. The sowing of good seed shall never end in total failure. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. The Lord Jehovah says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Some seed fell upon good soil. Some seed fell upon good soil. Soil that was tilled, dunged, manured, soft, healthy, well watered, ready to receive and grow the seed. It went down in. The seed that was cast upon it, sown upon it, went down in. It was covered. It was received. It took deep and abiding root. The refreshing showers of grace watered it and it increased. And it increased. Though not every spot of this fertile field yielded the same, yet, nevertheless, The whole field did indeed bring forth a fruitful harvest. Now, notice that no parable can teach all truth. It just can't. And even this one fails to mention some important things, but luckily it's covered elsewhere in the scriptures. We have no mention made here of what precedes the sowing or what follows it prior to the harvest. No mention of how it was plowed, how it was watered, how it was dunged, nothing. But we can be sure that these do take place and had to have. Why is this? Because no man's heart is good by nature at all. The good Lord makes the ground good. He turned the hardened, clayish, thorn-ridden soil into a good plot of earth. He caused the seed to be received into the ground, to root. And he watered it 
with the means of grace until full harvest. We are still awaiting our full harvest. These hearers that are like the good soil, Jesus says in verse 20, hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Matthew has it that they heareth the word and understandeth it. They hear it and understand it. They are intelligent hearers. All the hearers heard the word, right? Every single one of them heard the word. But not not all understood it. And none but this one soil, the good soil, received it. So all heard it, not all understood it, and none but this soil, the good soil, received it. It is by believers alone, true believers alone, that the word is heard, understood, and then lovingly received into the heart. It roots, it grows, it fruits, and it receives the Savior. Dear congregation, we must aim at inward reception. At inward reception and comprehension of the word of God. We must understand and receive it. It is only in this way that we can be made fruitful by it. The Lord sows. The Lord waters the word through preachers, through pastors, through ministers, through evangelists. But it is always he which maketh it to increase. It's only he that can increase the word sown. Where the gospel is faithfully preached, there will always be some persons who are made by God to be good soil, good ground. Now their numbers may be few. Their numbers may be not as many as we'd hope or want. But they shall be there. They shall be there. We must cast our net wide in fishing. We must spread our seed far in sowing. And we must faithfully proclaim the gospel. The Lord will be the one who draws his own, who increases his own. This is what distinguishes true believers from hypocrites, namely that they bear fruit. They bear fruit. John fifteen eight, Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. What do I mean by that? There will be always true and lasting love to God, true gratitude-based and rooted desire to follow him, to obey him, to serve him in a Christian. In the true believer, sin will truly be hated. Christ will truly be loved. And holiness will show itself in one form or another. Now, this is never done perfectly, and in many, quite poorly. We're going to be honest. Differing circumstances and conditions in the soil, though it is good, cause the good ground to yield differently. This is true even in actual agriculture. Some yield 30, others 60, some 100. Notice also that Jesus does not say that the good ground has no stones, no thorns. He just says that those stones and those thorns do not overcome and overpower the seed so that it bears no fruit. Those stones and thorns are not effectual to choking it out. Remember that the flesh, the flesh 
lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Galatians 5.17 The believer desires to obey God in the inward man, truly. But the execution thereof is often hampered by inward roots of sin in their lives. This inward thorny weed of sin. The stones of pride. The stones of self hinder the yield. But yet there still is a yield. The fruit might not be as much as another, but it is still there. Not all Christians are alike in their fruitfulness. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. While there is true grace in all of them, there's different degrees of true grace active. Some reach greater attainments in holiness, in knowledge. But if the ground is truly good, the fruit real, the heart sincere and honest, the life consistent with it, then those who bring forth only 30-fold shall be just as graciously accepted by God as those who abounded unto a hundredfold. The laborer that was hired at the end of the day was paid the same as the one that was hired at the beginning of the day. The thief who upon the cross believed only moments before his death is and shall be clothed with the same robe of righteousness as the Apostle Paul. He shall be called and has been thou good and faithful servant. The fruit, no matter the amount, shall be reckoned unto each Christian in their account. However, let us go on to perfection. Forward is the call for the Christian army. Forward, dear Christian. Let us aim for an hundredfold. Let us aim for that to the glory and honor of Christ. Let our prayer be, Lord, make me to be the ground that reaches an hundredfold. It should be our aim to be among the most fruitful, not the least. We must therefore cultivate humility and the fear of God. He who has been forgiven much, rather he who recognizes just how much he has been forgiven, shall love much. Let our hearts, dear congregation, be such that we would give 10,000-fold if we could. For every sermon we hear, we should endeavor to benefit in a hundred gracious, loving, and self-denying ways to God and to man. A hundredfold be our aim and love, patience, and aid to the brother thirtyfold be our heart. So dear congregation, we close by asking, what kind of hearer are we? What kind of hearer are you? I trust we are all hearers of the good ground. But are we being consistent with that? Are we settling for 30-fold? Are we content in 60-fold? Or are we desiring to strive for 100-fold? May the Lord make this sermon effectual into our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. O thou sower of the word and reaper of the harvest, we come before thee. We thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for the salvation 
that thou hast wrought within us. Thou hast begun in our completing and shall complete at the day of Christ Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to walk consistently with thy truth, to love thee, to serve thee, to know thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.